Faith Over Fear. That's the series that we're in right now. And we are in week two of this series. And I think fear is a very important thing to talk about. It seems like, even more right now, fear is a driving force in our world. Fear is influencing a lot of the decisions that are being made. But before I talk about how we're going to deal with fear, I want to make sure that we completely understand what fear is. So let's go right back to the definition. Let's see what Merriam-Webster has to say about fear. It says this, fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by the anticipation or awareness of danger. But what many people don't realize is that fear actually serves an important purpose. Megan and I will often, uh, you know, we'll be around town or we'll go out of town and on our way back to the apartment, we'll often find like a rabbit or two, whether it's in the front yard or in the backyard, around our parking lot. And Megan has kind of made it her mission to get close to one of these little furballs. And she has like walked closely, walked slowly, kept quiet, you know, tried to get closer with little steps and everything. And I think, she, I think she actually got really close to one once and maybe even touched one. But the point of me bringing that up is that rabbits, like many animals, have this like threshold of security. Where the closer you get, they're just kind of hanging out, just testing the waters. But as you get really close, the rabbit hits that threshold and says, okay, if I stay here, I am no longer safe, so I'm going to bolt so that I can stay alive, just in case the situation is dangerous. Now, humans experience fear, too. We experience fear all the time. And here's something for you. Megan's family and my family and a lot of our friends have this adamant belief, relentless belief, that I am afraid of chickens. Yeah, me, afraid of chickens. Now, I'll admit, there's some childhood trauma in my past that I still haven't completely dealt with. I'll admit that. But I still don't believe I'm afraid of chickens. Do I like to, to maintain a healthy distance from ones that are still alive? Yeah. Would I run away if a chicken came up close to me really fast? Since the aforementioned trauma, that test is yet to be taken. So, but I confidently believe, no, I'm not afraid of chickens. For you, it might not be chickens. We're all afraid of different things. In October of 2017, the Angus Reid Institute published a survey that they had taken where they sent a bunch of surveys to different Canadians with questions about Halloween. Now, most of these questions were related to the event of Halloween itself. Things like, do you feel safe, you know, sending your kids out in the neighborhood going door to door? Questions like that. But the very last question, which is this open-ended, curious question, they, they just wondered what the answer was. And the, the open-ended question was, what are you most afraid of? And I want to share with you some of those answers this morning. And I'm even going to show you or tell you the percentage of people who gave each answer. So here's some of those answers. Number one, the biggest one, and it kind of goes from biggest to smallest. First one, 17.6% of the people who took this survey are most afraid, more than anything else, of illness, death, or dying. Number two, 8.2%, economic or financial struggle. 
Number three, 6.5% of people are most afraid of bad, dangerous, or dishonest people. 5.8% of people are afraid of, exp- of um, other people, friends and family, dying or getting injured. Now, here's where it gets a little muddy. 4% of Canadians who took this survey were afraid of the Canadian government. 3.6 people were afraid of heights, which, you know, we're, it's going to be in there somewhere. Heights is just one of the biggest ones. So 3.6, afraid of heights. And 3.5, you can't just be afraid of the Canadian government. 3.5% of people were afraid of the American government, which was, now at the time, that was Trump. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But 3.5% of people were afraid of the American government. And then there were some smaller percents, but still re- very relevant fears. And here's some of those. War, violence, and terrorism, something that a lot of people are most afraid of. Crime and criminals, being alone, failure, the unknown, racism, natural disasters, car accidents, the dark, again, that has to be somewhere, growing old, and public speaking. Probably the only one on the list that I feel like I've fully conquered at this point. And then, of course, there were 5% of surveyors who just couldn't decide what they were most afraid of. So I don't know what to do with that percent. But anyway, now this isn't all that bad. Because remember what I said, fear actually serves an important purpose, right? It helps us identify and be aware of danger so that we can keep ourselves safe. But sometimes fear gets a little bit stronger than it's supposed to be. And fear can be debilitating. We can begin to perceive danger everywhere. And fear can consume our thoughts to the point where it becomes difficult even just to get out of bed. And that's not what fear was intended to accomplish. Like imagine, let's go back to that rabbit for a second in the driveway. Imagine if that rabbit and all rabbits had no threshold at all of what they could handle before it's time to bolt. We wouldn't see any. Because they would never leave their hole, which means they would never reproduce, which means they would never raise other ones, and they would never find food, and they would die. And there would be no rabbits. And we can see that that's obviously a very unhealthy thing for the rabbit, and yet still, fear grips a lot of us today to the point where things are debilitating, and yet sometimes we don't even realize it. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus was contrasting his mission with the devils. And this is what he said, the thief, the the devil, the enemy, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Key word there is full. Jesus came to to give us life, a fulfilling life, a full life. So how do we get that full life when we've got debilitating fears and if we know people if that's not really a thing that we're struggling with but we know people who have fears that debilitate how do we help them out how do we lead them to that full life because remember remember what this church is about we just did a series where we talked about what we're about we're about experiencing life and that life we want people to experience is a full life this life from john 10 10 but then at the end of that 
We want to discover our purpose and make a difference, which is to help others experience that full life. So how do we help others get there? Well, one thing that we need to remember before we answer that question is that fear is an emotion. Fear is caused, remember the definition, by the awareness or anticipation of danger. And what does that mean? Why would they throw anticipation in there beside awareness? Well, because sometimes we anticipate a greater danger than what's really there. Or at least the danger that is there isn't to the extent that we perceive it, especially as followers of Jesus. Now, last week, Pastor Adam talked about having hope over despair. He invited us to have hope, and he said that thanksgiving is the gateway, the path, the method towards hope-filled living. Thanksgiving can lead us to a life that is filled with hope, even in times of pain and loss. And I invite you to go back and, and uh, see that and listen to that if you haven't heard that message yet. This week, I'm talking about doubt. And if there's a place where our doubts are collected or accumulated, it's in our debilitating fears. And doubts and fears make all kinds of claims, right? Here's, here's some of the claims, at least that I've experienced in my own life, and probably you've probably experienced at least one of these, if not most of them. Here's some claims that doubt and fear make. You are inadequate. You will never overcome that one sin in your life that you struggle with more than all the rest. You can't trust God with all things. Maybe some, but not all things. You can't impact the kingdom. You will have no impact on the kingdom. God is not always good. God doesn't have time for the little things. Maybe some of the bigger things, but come on, some of our worries and prayers and fears are pathetic to him. You are all alone. You're never going to escape the way that you're feeling right now. And the one, of course, that initiated the fall of man. Did God really say that? But let me tell you something about claims. Claims are what you assert when you don't have evidence or proof. Because then it's a fact. Before that, it's just a claim. And claims can be pretty convincing, can't they? Think about lawyers. They spend so much time perfecting opening statements because they know that their opening statement is a chance to sway people to believe that what they intend to share is true before they bring any proof or any evidence to the table. They get a chance to sway people in their direction. And our fears and our doubts do that. Do they do the same thing? They lead us to these claims that cause us to anticipate a much greater danger than what's really in the world. Again, especially as followers of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that there's no danger. It doesn't mean that we should be reckless. There's a lot of danger in this world. We even face danger for doing the right thing sometimes. And in John 16, 33, the disciples were told by Jesus, by Jesus, that they would experience suffering and moments of displeasure here on earth. And some of that pain and displeasure would come specifically because of the public display of the faith that they had. So we don't just get out of it because we believe. Stuff is going to happen in this life. But Jesus also said in that verse, Take heart, for I have overcome the world. 
And if you didn't know, that word world in the Bible translates directly to the word cosmos. I like that word bigger than world. It just seems like it's got a bigger impact. It's, it sounds more epic, which God is, right? So it fits. And if there was a translation that I wrote, let's just call it the St. Nick translation for a second. So if we had a St. Nick translation, here's what John 16:33 would say. Pain and suffering is a given here on earth. But get excited because I, Jesus, am about to shake the cosmos a little bit bigger. Just This has a more of an impacted feeling. I don't know. I like words that really bring things to life. That's what I would have written. But anyway. And then he did, right? He shook the cosmos. He died and he rose again. He did something that's never been done before or after that except by the power of of God. And then when he went back to heaven, when he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit in his place to be our advocate, to be our helper. And he had this to say. In that same chapter where he talked about everything that we would experience, John chapter 16, back to verse 13, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit, our advocate. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. I need some truth this morning, and I hope you believe that too. So what truth do we know about the Holy Spirit in relation to our fear? What does that relationship between those two things look like? Well, our key verse in this series, Faith Over Fear, is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Last week, we learned that thanksgiving is the key to a hope-filled life. I want to share with you this morning that a sound mind is the key to a life that confidently trusts in God. A sound mind is the key to belief over doubt. And that sound mind is enabled by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives us a sound mind so that we can trust God and do away with our doubt, and especially our debilitating fears that rob us of a full life that God wants us to have. So what are some things about a sound mind that can lead us to agreeing that that's the kind of thing that we should have in our lives? What do we know about a sound mind based on what we can find? Well, first of all, a sound mind conquers doubt with truth. It conquers what doubt says, those claims and those voices of doubt and fear, with what God says. Because we know that what God says is true. When those doubts arise, we can do exactly what Jesus did. We can go to the truth. In Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And there he fasted and he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And this is a paraphrase, but this is essentially what the devil said to him. Remember, he's fasting, so he's not eating, he's hungry, he's not dying, but he's dying to eat. That's his flesh, and he's wrestling with that to focus on God for 40 days. So this is what the enemy says. He says, Jesus, you're starving. I don't know why you're putting yourself through this. You're God. You don't have to fast. You can literally turn that rock into bread. Why not? Go ahead. 
It won't hurt anything. So Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What Jesus is saying is, knowing this word is more important than our physical needs. For even for Jesus, it was more important to know what the Bible says than to solve his hunger problem. So then the devil took him to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, and he said, I dare you to jump, because the Bible says that angels will catch you, and you won't even strike your foot against the stone. You will be safe. I dare you to jump. And then again, Jesus goes to the scripture, to the truth. He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, which says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And so he wins again. And then finally, the devil takes him to this tall mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all the power that exists, and says to Jesus, I'll give you all this if you just bow to me. And Jesus responds with scripture, believe it or not, three times. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 this time. And he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And we can do the same thing that Jesus did. Now, our, our doubts and our fears may not look the same as Jesus' temptation, right? Our fears aren't saying jump off this. because Our fears are saying don't jump, right, if anything. And so we don't have the same fears and doubts that Jesus in his flesh might have had, but we do have doubts and fears, and we can attack them. We can come at them with the truth in the same way that Jesus did. So what does the Bible, what does the Word say to our doubts. How can we respond with the word to our doubts? I'm going to go back to some of those doubts that I listed and show you how the truth, the word of God, addresses those doubts. When doubt says you're not enough, the Bible says you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. When doubt says God doesn't want to hear every little prayer, the Bible says cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. When doubt says you cannot impact the kingdom, you will have no kingdom impact. The Bible says we are his workmanship. We're his masterpiece created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand to do that we should walk in. When doubt says God isn't always good, the Bible says taste and see, which basically means give him a shot and he will show you that he's good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. When doubt says you're all alone, the Bible says Jesus is with you always to the very end of the age. When doubt says you're never going to escape the way that you feel right now, the Bible says come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest that you can't find anywhere else. When doubt says did God really say that, the Bible says not one of the Lord's promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. God keeps his word. What else does a sound mind do? A sound mind enables us to trust God even in difficult times. And I can't think of a better example for this one than David. Right? David trusted God. He was the only one out of the whole nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, who chose to trust God even in the face of a giant that was way bigger than everybody in Israel. And from then on, God enabled him to defeat Goliath, and from then on, he grew in popularity. David 
was known by people, and he was encouraged by people. His name was celebrated in Israel, and because of that, the king, King Saul, remember, who did nothing about Goliath, who had no faith in God about Goliath, became jealous of David to the point where he pursued him and tried to kill him many, many times. And then one night, David and one of his men who are loyal to him, they're still fleeing from Saul, and one day they find him, and the man with David, like many men would say, he's sleeping, he's right there. This is your chance to kill him and be free of all this fear, of all this fleeing, of, and you can go back to being safe. You can go back to Jerusalem because you've already been anointed for the, the place of king. It's your right, God chose you for it. End this now, go back to Jerusalem and be safe, be king. But David chose to do the right thing because he knows that King Saul, whether he lives God's way or not, was still anointed by God to be king, which means God decides when he's not, not David. So he continues to flee. And because he persevered and he put his trust in God and not in his own ability to deal with the circumstance, he was able to write Psalm 18. This is one of the most encouraging psalms for people who are going through things. Here's three verses or four verses from that psalm. Psalm 18, verses 16 to 19. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety, and he rescued me because he delights in me. Now, all the time in our lives, we face situations that we feel are too big. We face moments where, whether it's a feeling or it's a reality, something is too big for us, and it feels like waves are crashing in. Sometimes we feel like we're unsafe in the world, in our experiences, like things are just too big for us, and we're in a dangerous place. That's how David felt, but when he trusted God, he gained peace, and he was kept safe through all of those experiences. A sound mind is able to sort out that in any circumstance, despite how dangerous the situation might seem, God is in control. And we can trust him with whatever's going on, no matter what it looks like. I'm going to jump to Psalm 23 for a minute. My, for, my favorite part of this psalm is the first half of verse 5. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Imagine having that kind of peace. So David was, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. David was basically saying, I trust God so much and God's given me so much peace that I could sit at a table and enjoy a meal even when my enemies barge through the door ready to kill me. He had that much peace and he had that much trust that God would keep him safe. In difficult times, a sound mind is also able to look back and see the faithfulness of God and trust that he'll continue to be faithful again and again and again. When you encounter God and he shows up in a stressful situation and changes things in a way that you never could, hang on to that. Because the way that this life goes, you will need to draw back on that at some point when the waves come crashing in again or when you feel unsafe or when you feel like something's too big for you to handle by yourself. 
And lastly, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. A sound mind makes for a sound mentor. Remember at the beginning, I said we shouldn't just want fullness of life for ourselves, but at the end of this cycle of discipleship that we aim for at the Harbor Church, we want to discover our purpose and we want to make a difference, which means finding other people and helping them experience life, living community, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And we want to keep this cycle going as the kingdom grows, as God builds his kingdom and make a difference here, which means that we can identify people around us who are experiencing fear in different levels, in depths in different levels. So how do we help them find fullness of life in God too? A sound mind helps us with that in more ways than one. Last week, Pastor Adam talked about all of the things that Paul experienced. To name a few, Paul was whipped. He was beaten. He was attacked by people who believed that they were doing the will of God. He was shipwrecked and whipped again and beaten again and and on and on and on. And yet Paul, in all circumstances, was able to give thanks in all situations and have hope through every experience. And it's Paul who wrote 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, our key passage that we're looking at in this series. We find this verse in a letter of encouragement, a letter of mentorship. So it's an important thing to address this morning. This letter of encouragement was from the Apostle Paul to a man named Timothy. Now, Timothy accompanied Paul on, his, on some of his missionary journeys. He learned from Paul. He was kind of like a protege for Paul. So Paul mentored him and spent a lot of time investing in his relationship with Timothy and in Timothy's relationship with God and in, in his ministry life. So I want to read some of the verses that lead up to the key verse that we're looking at in this series to help us understand what's going on when we actually read verse 7. So here's verses 3 to 7 from Paul. It says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. Isn't it just like a mentor to bring out the tears? It's always about the tears. You cried, I didn't cry. When we parted, you cried. Anyway, I long to see you again, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind. That's where we find this verse, in mentorship, in encouragement. Because of Paul's sound mind, it was given to him through the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to strengthen Timothy's faith and to strengthen Timothy's ministry to encourage him to persevere and fan into flame the gifts of God with this letter. I was talking to Pastor Adam once uh, before his family moved here, just about his kids. You know, I'm a youth pastor. I want to know a few details so I can, you know, just introduce myself to them and know a little bit of the context. And he was talking to me about baseball because his boys are in baseball and he uh, helps coach them. And he was talking to me about coaching. And he said something that I think really applies 
the mentorship, coaching, discipleship, any area where you have an opportunity to influence somebody else. And I'm going to paraphrase because honestly, I can't remember exactly what he said. Um, but this is pretty much what he said. All you have to do to mentor, to coach, to disciple, to lead somebody is just know a little bit more than they do. You don't have to have everything figured out. And with mentorship, that's true. You don't have to have the strongest relationship with Jesus. But if you have a relationship with Jesus and you have something that somebody else doesn't and you give that to them, you encourage them in whatever way, you share how you overcome doubt in a certain way, boom, mentorship. It's that simple. Throw a sound mind in there in the mix that confidently trusts God and you are equipped to mentor someone, to disciple someone, to encourage someone, to lead someone. And without a sound mind, we probably wouldn't even see the potential in other people. Remember, those, I talked about those fears at the beginning, and like the third one, the third largest fear in that whole survey was other people. And we don't just fear other people, but we doubt them. We doubt their potential. We doubt their motivation. We doubt their work ethic. We doubt their commitment to God, whatever it might be. But a sound mind takes away those doubts or at least lets us look at them from God's perspective and see potential in other people. And then our heart actually desires to encourage, desires to mentor and help people experience life. And another way that a sound mind equips you to mentor is through your testimony. Earlier I said when you go through tough things and God shows up, hold on to those, but don't just hold on to them for you. You can do something with that. You can pass it on to other people. Don't just encourage yourself, but use it to encourage others. Help them in their walk with God. And if you know someone who's experiencing doubts and fears that you specifically has, have, have encountered in your life already that God has led you through, guess what? One of those verses was that we're his workmanship prepared in advance for works that he has set aside for us. And when that person comes into your life with the same doubts and fears that you've gone through and that God has helped you through, chances are that he's pointing you to them to mentor them, to encourage them. That's exactly what that circumstance was for. So we can mentor with a sound mind. But how do we, we know now for, from reading this, that a sound mind is a good thing, that the Holy Spirit wants to give us a sound mind, that it's something that we should seek after. But how do we receive it? God's offering it to us, but how do we receive that invitation? How do we take that and work towards developing a sound mind? Well, first, you invite God to renew your mind, right? If you want a sound mind, you want a sound mind from the Holy Spirit, you got to ask for it. You're going to invite God to mold your mind. Romans 12, 2 in the message version says, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and respond quickly to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the lowest level of maturity, of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So a sound mind is something that God wants for us. He wants to bring out the best in you. He wants to guide you to maturity, to a sound mind. But have you asked him to? Have you taken a minute to say, can I have that? Can you help me build that? That's the first step. 
what else can we do? We can replace your doubts with his word. Remember, I talked about Jesus. And if anybody ever comes up here with an example that's better than Jesus, well, nobody will. Anyway, if there's an example of a sound mind to emulate, it's Jesus, right? It's the one who is truly man, but also truly God. So how do we respond to our doubts with this word? Well, we do it by reading his word and by memorizing it. Now, it's one thing to read a daily devotional, to get encouragement from that day, and to retain probably some of it, but to forget a lot of it. And it's another thing to take time to intentionally memorize scripture. But regardless of the way that you intake, excuse me for a minute, regardless of how you retain scripture, the more you memorize, the more truth you have. And that way, when those doubts come, you can swing back at them with what you know to be true. So take time to memorize scripture so that you can respond to those doubts and fears with the word of God. And lastly, build community with other people who are doing the same thing, who are inviting God to renew their minds, who are choosing God's influence over the influence of culture, who are replacing their doubts with his word. Because the reality is, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, we're not meant to do life alone. That's why we gather. That's why we have groups. Circles are better than rows. You've probably heard that a bunch of times too. The encouragement that we get here on a Sunday morning is great, but it's limited. And the more you can get, the more encouragement, the more, the more, um, the more encouragement that we're getting through the week, the better it is for us. It doesn't matter how you form a group. But find one. There's life groups at the church. And we call them life groups because life is better with them. That's why we call them life groups. It doesn't matter how you do it, but find people to encourage and find people to get encouragement from. You have the opportunity, if you've gone through things and you've overcome them because of God's help, you can help others. You get to be a Paul for someone. You get to mentor and encourage someone. And guess what? When you find a group, chances are you will also find a Paul for you. And you get an opportunity to be Timothy and get some more encouragement and get some more faith. I want to tell you a story about my life. In the scariest time of my life, I had a core group of about, about six people that I was able to go to. And those people also came to me. There was this like circle of mutual help and encouragement and faith building. And all of our faith grew. But I remember this night where, like, everything that could suddenly go wrong in all of our lives all went wrong at once. Like, it was crazy. We were all experiencing crazy things. And so what did we do? Well, we got together. We listened to each other as we shared our fears and doubts. We encouraged each other. And then we asked for God's help. We invited him to show up. And then we spent some time worshiping him, believing that he would show up. So find a group. That's the bottom line of this one. Find a group, share your doubts, and allow others to encourage you. Groups also, like I said, they enable you to start mentoring and encouraging other people and sharing your testimony with God's faithfulness. And remember, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Perfect love casts out all fear. 
we're only equipped to conquer fear, to do away with fear, to deal with doubt, because we're enabled by God. And guess what? God's motivation is perfect love. And when all else fails, God's supernatural love can break through and tackle the toughest of doubts and fears. So whether you're the person right now who needs to hear this message from an encouragement standpoint, and you're going through fears and and there's things that are debilitating you and, and tough doubts that you're dealing with, or you know someone and God has been preparing you and equipping you to share and encourage them, whether it's with his faithfulness or with the truth of his word. We need his perfect love to help us out with that. We need a sound mind. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. The last thing I want to do today, this morning, together is I want us to sing a song. It's a song about belief in him. It's a song that says, God, I believe you, but I recognize that there's times in my life where I struggle to believe you fully. There's times in my life where there's a fear that's gripping me just a little bit, and I have to be able to give that to you. So when I have struggles, when I have unbelief a little bit, when I have doubts and fears, help me in those moments of unbelief. It says, this world is shaking, but God will never, ever, ever be shaken. He'll never be thrown off. He's prepared for every circumstance. And we need his supernatural love to break through those tough fears and doubts. But there's nothing impossible with God. I want to invite you to sing this with us for a moment. Let faith arise.